Have you ever stopped and wondered, what if certain things in your life never happened? Or better yet, what if God never allowed it to happen? Like what if your parents had a better marriage? What if your dad wasn't so angry all the time? What if you didn't try so hard to fit in with the crowd? What if you never took that first drink? What if that adult you trusted never abused you? In other words, what if God protected you from the trauma of your childhood? Well, if you were today's guest and you were protected from all of those things and more, then Romans 8.28 would just be another scripture in the Bible. And you wouldn't be able to bring hope to literally thousands of people in places most are too afraid and unwilling to go. I can't wait for you to meet today's guest, who reminds us that we're never too far, never too broken, or never too bad for God to use our mess and turn into a message for many. Real Men Connect is next. Real Men Connect, episode 43. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us my friend Kit Cummings, who is an author, teacher, and peace activist. Kit spreads his energy-filled message of power, potential, and positive change to schools, prisons, churches, and corporations through life-changing keynotes, workshops, and seminars. Kit is the founder and president of Power of Peace Project Incorporated and has spoken to tens of thousands of people all over the world. Now, I had the pleasure of being introduced to Kit by a good friend of mine who is a huge fan of his, who he's never met. <laughs> and after initially talking to Kit on the phone and eventually sitting down with him for lunch, I was convinced to share his story, his journey, and the lessons from his life with you. And I'm thrilled to have him on the show with us today. And so with that being said, Kit, welcome to Real Men Connect, man. Thanks, Joe, man. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, honored and so glad that uh, our mutual <laughs> acquaintance and your friend connected us because this is what I believe to be a divine appointment. And uh, I'm grateful for all the men that are going to be tuning in and uh, just pray that we help you know, somebody out there that needs what we're going to talk about. But thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, man. And I, I tell you, I know they're going to benefit from it because just in the short time that I've known you, Kit, you've been a blessing to me as well. And our, our friend who is your fan, who you've never met, um, I consider her an angel and I can't wait to share our connection with her that, that I had a chance to meet you and um, have you on the show as well. So let's get right to it, Kit, because I brought you on the show today because of your, because of your testimony, because of the journey that you've you've traveled, and I know this is going to bless a lot of men out there because there's a lot of men who like myself, who sometimes we feel like we've blown it. You know, we've been given an opportunity and we've been blessed, um, and then all of a sudden, for some strange reason, I call it for lack of a better way, that we get stuck on stupid, <laughs> go off the beaten path. Been there, yeah. And so, but somehow, because of God's grace and His mercy, He brings us back to the fold. And so, what I think that the men are going to get most out of your message today is going to be, hopefully, for me, will be hope. 
mm-hmm. that it's not too late to turn things around and that God is not done with you yet. And that even though we may make a, a detour here and there, that God allows U-turns and we thank him for that. But kid, I want to jump right into it, brother. And I want you, um, before we, we get into the questions, share with us your favorite Bible verse. We always ask the men when they come on to what inspires them in the word of God. What's your favorite Bible verse and why? I think it is, um, got, you know, that's, that's always a hard question, but if I could only have one, um, it would have to be Luke 15 and the prodigal son. And it'd have to be the moment when he found himself knee deep in pig slop and he had, uh, what alcoholics call a moment of clarity. Mm. And he said, you know, Luke 15, 20, he, he said, here I am. And in my father's house, you know, I had it so good. Uh, so humbled, he said, I'm going to go back to my father. And of course the father was waiting and he didn't get the response that he expected. And, you know, that's amazing grace. But, um, but I, I, I feel I can relate so much to the prodigal son and to that moment when I said, I'm just going to go back and be a servant, you know, I don't. So anyway, that would be mine. And, and I love that. And because I, I know, for a lot of men out there listening, um, we've all, you know, for a lot of us, we, unfortunately, we've been in that position of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. We say, wow, what did I do? How did I end up here? And so we're kind of like teasing them about it. But let's let's start now. You, you, you run an organization called the Power of Peace Project. And I know based on knowing you and talking with you, how you ended up there. But I want you to take us back to the beginning and lead us up to it, because this whole interview is going to be based around your journey and what I think the men out there can glean from the lessons and the turns that you took in your life. So let's start at the beginning uh, when Kit was a kid. What kind of home environment, Kit, did you grow up in, man? Um, I always want to honor uh, my mother and my father. Um because it was it was tough, and and you know one person's pain is not deeper than another's. Our, our pain is our pain, and suffering is suffering. And um, I never discount anything, you know, any suffering that we go through. But um, my story is a is a line of addiction with the men in my line. Um, I didn't go, you know, I go back to my dad, his dad, and his dad. And if I kept going back, it might go back a long way. But it's, uh, it's the men in our line and obviously, um, daughters, you know, and, uh, spouses, you know, everybody is, can be affected by this. It's a family disease, but I was the classic, uh, child of an alcoholic. And so our, our household, um, my dad drank a lot and unfortunately, um, he lost his life at the age of 52 when I was in college. Um, he drank himself to death and that, that really, really hurt me because I had a lot of pain growing up that I never got to resolve while he was alive. But, you know, the household was, um, there, there was an insecurity in the household of how was dad going to be. When I got old enough to, to start getting out and being gone, that's what I chose. I didn't like being at home and, and uh, I didn't bring my my friends, didn't come to my house. I went to their house. And um, But I was the protector between my mom and dad. And my mom is my angel. You know, I mean, she's my biggest advocate, advisor, consultant, friend, protector. And I've been the same for her. And, uh, I mean, I, you, I don't know that you can be closer to a mom. We talk every day. And um, so, anyway, that, that was kind of the, the context that I grew up in. 
All right. Now let's let's start back there then with your dad. You mentioned that there was a generation of of, of alcoholism that ran mm-hmm. through the family. Now, mm-hmm. what kind of how what kind of impact did that have in your home? What did you see growing up from him that pretty much made you feel that you needed to be the protector of your mom and kind of be there her support system? What happened? Well, he he had a lot of love in him. He didn't know how to show it and express it. And um, he had a lot of wounds that he got from his father. I believe that men, you can have the perfect father and have a wound that I couldn't measure up all the way to abusive fathers and they wound us or the absent father that wounds us. But I think as men, we carry a wound that we got from our father that has to be healed. And typically a wound needs to be healed from the person that inflicted it. And there's forgiveness and there's on both sides and there's uh sincere, you know, apology. And, and we didn't have that. So my dad was a very functional alcoholic. And so I don't remember him ever missing a day of work. I don't remember ever seeing him hungover. Um, he, he just had a cycle. He didn't do his drinking outside and, um, unless it was, we were out as a family or, or whatever. But, um, so it was a cycle when he got home and uh, this still to this day when a, um, a garage door opens, I, my, my heart jumps a little bit. I tense because when I heard that garage door open, dad was home and I didn't know, you know, what it was going to be like. And so then the cycle would start, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight beers, you know, and then just he would get angrier because alcohol kind of it brings out who we really are it brings down so you have the happy drunk you have the crying drunk you have the angry drunk and and dad would start getting more and more angry and and we didn't know why i didn't know what i had done you know because a young mind just creates a story and so you know i was always trying to keep the peace his dad would get angry and sometimes i wouldn't say violent i mean i guess violence can be in the mind but he was abusive and um, and then he'd go to bed and then the next day he'd be up and out before anybody was, was home. And then he'd come home and it was almost as if he didn't remember it. And he, but he definitely never resolved it. Like, you know, when there's that kind of thing, dad's supposed to sit down and say, Hey, let's talk about what happened last night. I apologize. Or here's what made me mad. Or here's what I don't need you doing anymore. We didn't have that. We just pretended like it didn't happen. And I was cool with that because I just wanted him to be happy. And then the cycle would repeat itself again. So that makes for a very insecure kid, you know, that's always trying to please. And that's what I became. Now, kid, was this throughout your entire childhood or did it something that he developed later on as far as maybe when you were middle school, you started drinking? When did he start drinking and how long did it last and that you were exposed to and that you saw it? Now, he had a problem, you know, early on. I mean, I think he probably much like me, we didn't talk about it. So I didn't, I didn't ever get really his side of that story. But um, it was young. So, I mean, he probably started drinking in his teens and in college at University of Georgia, just like I did. And then he went in the Navy and then, you know, got the job. He kept his whole life with uh, General Electric. And um, like I said, he's very functional, but I, I don't have any memories of him not drinking. At one point, he went to like a 30-day outpatient program, and, and I saw what might have been, but he didn't even last the 30 days. So in 52 years and 23 of my life, I never saw sobriety. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. And see, and Kit, we both have that in common, that we both were raised in um, a family um, filled with alcohol. Mm. And alcoholism in the, the mm. fallout. My mom too um, was an angry 
person after she started drinking, mm-hmm. you know, and I saw her, like you said, uh, become that angry person. And I never thought about it until you just brought it up that you said that when the garage door would open, it would be like a trigger to you. And, you know, even to this day, you, it still brings back memories. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't think about it until you just brought it up. Um, I, I have something similar like that with myself is when I, you know, when I hear ice <laughs> or anything mm-hmm. and yeah. my, my children tease me about it because they don't understand why I can't stand the sound of crushed ice. Mm-hmm. It's because my mom used to crush ice. Um, in addition to drinking, she'd had a, a glass of ice and I used to have to get the ice for her all the time. Um, as she became angry and angry, like you said, your dad was. And so I didn't realize that that is a trigger from even for me to take me back to a place I'm not really, you know, like to go back to all the time. Mm-hmm. But Kit, I want to ask you this, though. You, you mentioned about the wound that the father caused. What kind of wounds did your dad alcoholism cause for you as a young man growing up? What, what were the things that that stood out to you now in hindsight, 2020? What do you see that what wounds did he cause? Uh, there's a lot of shame mm-hmm. uh, with this disease, and um, it affects different people different ways. But what I did is I just I became what you wanted me to be, mm-hmm. and I also had a very secret life. Okay, so it, it for me anyway, I can't speak for other people, but it, it created this um, deep insecurity with a lot of shame. I always felt like I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, and that's why I really liked what alcohol did. You know, my first time was probably at 12, and 13, I started really experimenting. At 14, I was becoming accomplished, and 15, we were wild, me and my, my buddies, you know, and then all the way up. And so, but the, but I think shame is the answer to that question. You have, you hide things, you have secrets. And, um, I had a double life. I was the athlete. I was the good student. I had the, you know, the very popular girlfriend all the way through, you know, I was, I was with the right people. I could become what you want me to be. And I became, I'm very gregarious and social anyway, and kind of life of the party kind of guy. And so that worked for me, you know, sports got me into the right places. And then, but I had this secret life with my little crew of, there were six of us and man, we were, we were crazy. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but that shame followed me. And there was a, an event in my life that was very, a huge turning point was right about the point of, you know, in adolescence, right? When the body is starting to change. And, um, you know, for a young man, I went through, uh, abuse, you know, there was sexual abuse and it wasn't in the family. It was, um, actually a coach and, Man, that was my big secret. Never told anybody, you know, what had happened there. And um, he was just a, you know, very accomplished, probably serial molester and um, won my trust and really looked up to him. He was a role model in my life and he just tricked me. And luckily it didn't last. You know, it was an event that happened and it never happened again. And But it hurt me real bad. So now I had, you know, the shame from the father, you know, that I was embarrassed about and hurt by. And then I had this event that I carried for a decade, you know, as a young man. And so that caused a lot of problems. So that shame is where we hide things, is darkness inside of us. And we're as sick as our secrets. We know that. Right. So I would I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it, it sure does. And what we have going, what seems to be working in your life is the perfect storm where you mm-hmm. have the rejection uh, from the father that causes the shame. And then um, I got a similar story like yours is that when another person takes advantage 
of that shame and abuses you, it makes you feel even more shame. And then you go mm-hmm. into the secret life. Now, this is a great transition as we move through your story, because uh, I can tell my listeners out there who are probably maybe getting depressed. No, no there's a happy <laughs> ending to all of this. <laughs> yeah. But we need to unpack that Kit Cummings is not who he is today. Um, just he didn't show up here overnight. He had to travel some ways to get here and he had to overcome a lot. So, Kit, I want to ask you this, man. As a result of now these incidences happening in your life, what did it lead you to that started your life to spiral out of control? Well, the, um, you know, my parents moved me from the worst part, you know, of Cobb County as far as where I was about to go to high school over to the best part of Cobb County, East Cobb, where I'm Georgia, the Atlanta area for those who are listening in other places. And that was a life change for me because now, now all of a sudden, man, I'm around these. It was the the it's the best school and um, one of the best in Georgia, uh, public schools. Um, and so that changed my life. But it also led me to a new type of party, you know. And so throughout high school, I experimented and drugs were a big part of it. And and um, then I got out and I went to college, played a little soccer and then at Georgia Southern, then transferred to UGA, and I graduated to a whole nother level of partying, you know, and then I took my time getting out of Athens, finally got a business degree, and then I went into the entertainment business, into rock and roll, and, and that was a whole, I just kept graduating to higher and higher until I was 25 years old, and I was burnt out, which is kind of sad. 25 is when, you know, you're supposed to get in your wheelhouse and figure out your career and really just bam. And I was a 25-year-old that was burnt out, and um, I was trying to get sober. I mean, even at 20 and 21, I was I was going to some AA meetings. I just wasn't ready yet. And so it's what it led me to following into the sins of my father. And we as young men, uh, most of us say, I'll never be like my old man. And some of us are lucky enough to have fathers that's like, man, all I want to be is like my dad. I swore that I wasn't going to be him, and sure enough, I was <laughs> I was becoming my dad. And I didn't want that. And then when he died, it really broke me. And it took a couple of years until I decided, all right, I'm going to deal with this. And I, I, you know, got on a path to sobriety, which, you know, later in the story, you'll find out that I had a, a major slide in my life for a minute that led me to what I'm doing now. Right, right. And we're definitely going to get there, too. I, I want to find out and just get a check in as far as why you're going through all of this, kid. Um, you, you say you were very close to your mom and that mm-hmm. your mom and you are very tight. How was she dealing with, did, did she notice your struggle? Were you able to hide it from her? And what, what was her response to all of this? That's a great question. Um, I said that alcoholism is a family d- disease right. and it's a dysfunction in the house and there's codependency that develops, which is a whole another topic for, for a show, oh, a whole yeah. other show. Is, you know, it's a family illness because all of us are living around this you know, big elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about it. And we're, we're trying to tiptoe because things are blowing up. And uh, we became very close, and I think that that we kind of survived together, and so we became very, very close. But I think what she developed, and um, I can't say enough about my mom, but she would say this if she was on this show, is that the way she coped with it was kind of denial and avoidance. Okay, so there were, and she it wasn't a conscious thing, as most of what we drives us there are you know, subconscious, but, but, um, I think there were things she didn't want to see and she always, I was beloved. I mean, she loved me and she was so proud of me and, and she, you know, but 
she didn't want to see some stuff. And so I think that there were things she missed, but deep down she knew, you know, that I was struggling with things. And, um, but she overlooked some things and I definitely never, ever let her see some of the dark things until later. It was when I grew up and became a man that I started telling her everything, um, about my life. Now, but you weren't the only child, right? There There were other siblings. Yep. Older sister, two years older. And she literally has done her job around the world, lives in India now, brilliant. And uh, she she got out. I mean, she after she went and did her uh, senior year in high school abroad. And that's where she loved, you know, fell in love with language and, um, you know, with living in around the world. And she never, ever stopped, went on to college and then grad school and then went to work um, for the government. And now, you know, she lives all over the world. And that was kind of her her journey was she stepped on out of it, you know, and went and, and built a, a great life. But, you know, we, we deal with it different ways. I never left ever. You know, so she is older than you, right? Yeah. Two years. Okay. So she, so I'm assuming that cause nothing like that gets better unless there's an intervention. So she was able to get out before it got even worse. Yeah, so most of the real drama was me and my mama you yeah. know, together, mm-hmm. um, you know, so the, the real downturn and, you know, they uh, finally it was the time to make the split. And I think it was just broke his heart and he, you know, was alone, unfortunately, which I had to deal with a lot of that shame. My dad died by himself, you know, and, and um, you know, wasn't there for him. So I had to deal with that for years. And I have, and I've made peace with my dad, love my dad, my latest book, I dedicated to my dad, which was a big deal um, that he and I are great. And to tell you the truth, and I don't know if anybody's ever experienced this, he came to me in a lucid dream. And I saw him as the most beautiful, he was young and healthy, and his eyes were bright, and big smile, and he was so beautiful. And he told me, he said, I love you, I'm proud of you, and I want you to know I'm okay. Wow. And man, that wow. was, that was huge. Mm-hmm. God, God did that. Wow. Now with, um, you know, cause I want the men to not only listen, this is just rising up in my spirit, kid, that we're hearing your story, but at the same time, I, I'm hoping the men out there who are listening, who may be struggling with um, alcoholism or some type of addiction, that I want them also to see that the, that there's wounds that can be caused because we're looking talking to you as a grown man, but I still, when I'm talking to interviewing guests, I look at them as the child that was wounded. Mm-hmm. And so even though you're even older than I am, but to me, you're still, I, I want them to see the, the wounds of the father. Now, this may not be a fair question, Kit, and if you don't want to answer it, that's fine because I know you can't speak on behalf of your sister, mm-hmm. but she's doing great now, obviously. She's survived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any ripple effects of the woman that your father caused on her now as a female? I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really sure. And I think that um, she's been very successful and she is really protecting the world. She has a cause, you know, and her job is, is very much about uh, protecting the world from the threats. And um, and that's where she found her passion right. and, um, and her love. And so she, it's funny, we both are in this save the world, you know, type of, uh, callings and careers. And I think we both sprang out of that dysfunction in different ways. And so, but she, yeah, her path to healing has been different than mine, but, but quite honestly, we haven't ever gotten to spend this, uh, a lot of time together physically, um, which, you know, it's hard to do. It's long distance relationships. So, you know, there's some things I'm sure that, that she would share about that, that, you know, that I, I either wouldn't know or, or wouldn't know how to express, but we both have dealt 
with our wounds in different ways, but we have both, you know, dealt with them. You know, Kit, you bring up something very interesting um, because I have a, a younger sibling, a sister, who went up, grew up in the same dysfunctional household that I did, and you just brought up something I never really thought about that coming from that traumatic experience, that traumatic environment, that you guys have decided to quote, save the world for a lack of a better way of saying it in your own different way, which goes back, I guess, reinforces that statement that when they say hurting people either hurt people <laughs> or hurt themselves. But at the same time, if we allow God to transform us, we can turn that hurt into helping other people. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. I totally do. And it's there's um, I don't know if, if our listeners, you know, kind of into what they call archetypes, but there's mm-hmm. themes that run through humanity and we identify with different, you know, the the hero in the story, you know, the there's all kind of different archetypes, and um, mine has been the wounded healer. Right. And there's a lot of people that go into you know become therapists and become counselors and become doctors, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, sociologists, different careers where they help people. And a lot of it is about helping ourselves by helping other people with things that we understand. And that's why AA works so powerfully because somebody they know you. You know, because they've been through it. Or if you go through a really tough divorce, there are people that can help you if they are good counselors and they can help you with real truth. But you really bond with somebody who's been through a really tough divorce because you feel like, man, they understand me. Right. And it's survivors of cancer, you know, can help other cancer patients, people who have been through sexual abuse, physical abuse, through, you know, the most heinous sin, you know, perpetrated on them. It helps to, to really deal with somebody that understands you. And so I think we both have become kind of the, the healers in our own way. Uh, because of our experiences. Well, praise God for that. Mm-hmm. Now, let's get back into your story, Kit. Tell us now, after you've gone through all of this, this ordeal, you're living this you know, secret life, you're, um, mm-hmm. you're living in shame, you know, these deep insecurities, um, you got the wound from the father, you, you're, you're trying to hide the abuse that you endured. All this stuff, your, your mom is in denial about it. So as long as you're, you know, you're surviving, she's happy. But now, when did it turn around? Now we're getting to that point now where you came out of it. What what happened that made you decide, okay, I'm now at my this, I'm tired of this, something has to change, your rock bottom moment, I guess, so to speak. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. What happened that was the turning point for you? It was um, a guy coming into my life. You know, I, I was flirting around with trying to get sober as a young man after my dad had passed. And I knew that I was like him and I knew I was destined to follow in his footsteps. And I didn't want that. And um, I was trying to get married at the time, you know, trying to get my life together and, um, you know, in a relationship. And, and just uh, I was open. You know, and I think when we open ourselves up, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, you know. And so I was I was playing ball. I was uh, basketball was one of my loves. And so I was trying to get back in shape, you know, trying to get clean. And this man showed up and he was the coolest preacher I'd ever met, you know, because I he was young. He was athletic. He was competitive. Man, he was always coming. But you didn't know he was a preacher, though, right, Kit? (laughs) <laughs> did not till oh. I asked him, what in the heck is up with you, man? Um, and, and what do you do? He said, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a minister. And I said, well, I want to come to church with you. He didn't have to invite me. And I wasn't a church guy. And so I started going to church and I was just open book. I cried my first time in church because I'd never really done church. And he started studying the Bible with me and I fell in love with Jesus. I, it was, I've never doubted. It was an authentic, you know, 
conversion experience. And but Kit, let me interrupt know, you just for a second. I'm yeah, sorry, to interrupt, but I got to ask you this question. Now, this guy didn't have a, a Bible on the basketball court. And he didn't, you know, he wasn't preaching on the master court. What was it about him that you saw that made you, attracted you to him, especially after being hurt by another coach or another man? Mm. I'm sure that at least, I, I, maybe I'm only speaking for myself, that I had a hard time trusting men after I was abused. So what made, what, what attracted you to him that made you want to reach out to him? Because I thought that, I think that's bold. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I don't understand. And maybe you can help me because you're, you know, but <laughs> let's turn this around. Is there a couch I can lay down? On? No, but uh, I, I trust to a fault, always have. And I, now I, I, I've decided to live life trusting, but still be shrewd. I'm not stupid. Mm-hmm. But um, now I, I, I work with and try to help people that have, a, have abused people, which is very interesting. And so, and my, my heart has been healed to the point where, I don't even feel uncomfortable, you know, working with somebody who is abused or, you know, some of the worst kind of abuse on other people and, you know, working with them in prison is different things. So I've always needed close friends and mentors and father figures in my life. And I think it was that search for a father, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that really could teach me and raise me and help me. So even in all my dysfunctional craziness growing up, I was always reaching out, you know, for men, good men to be in my life. And so when this guy showed up, I'm, I'm just in right away. I can't really explain it. I mean, I guess I'm not really answering, but I don't know is the answer to your question. No, but you actually, just you, well, you actually helped and, me understand it a little bit better because what you said, when I'm here and here now putting you on the couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that, no, you had a desire. You just hit it right on the head. You had a desire. You still had a void Mm-hmm. That you felt needed to be filled. Um, I, I I tried to deny that void for years, as if it didn't exist. At least you were healthier than I was. That you actually acknowledged. I still want somebody to fill that void. I thought I don't need anybody to fill that void, but there was one there. And mm-hmm. so this guy was, I guess, meeting the criteria. What you sensed in your spirit to be a good, solid guy, a stand-up yep. guy. And so. He invites you to church. He, you, 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 you're hungry for the word, and you're 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 receptive to hearing the Holy Spirit, and now you get saved. So I just assume then, Kit, that now your life is perfect from here on out. Is that correct? <laughs> I'm being well, I'm being sarcastic, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I do know. So everything um, was straight after that. You you have no yeah, problems so, after hey, this. Now pre- appreciate the time. Yeah, happy ending. Close. Great story. <laughs> now tell us what happened after that. Tell me how. Okay. Because right now it seems like you're back on the right path. You have a, yeah. now a spiritual mentor, some guy yeah. you look up to. He's now helping you deal with some of the, the wounds of the father now. You're trusting again and your life. Tell, tell us the good and then what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, it was the best thing I'd ever found. And it was natural to me. It felt right. And I've only got one speed and it's all out. That's mm-hmm. it. I mean, I don't have another speed. And so I'm either trying to save the world or I'm trying to tear up some stuff. And so, <laughs> you know, once I, I fell in love with God, I said, I got to tell the whole world. And I went in the ministry. And this church put me in the ministry pretty quickly. And then I started getting to speak and people responded. And I found out that there was a gift inside of me I didn't know I had. And, um, you know, I was on a, then I was on the ride, man. And it was a, it was a good ride and, uh, it was a sincere love for God, but somewhere along the way I cross addicted because I got rid of the alcohol and the drugs and the craziness and the chasing and running. But now my drug became the praise of men. And so, you know, they laughed at every joke and they stood and they applauded when I was done, they lined up to shake my hand and I was a young man and my talent 
<laughs> outran my character and they kept promoting me and I said, Hey, I can't blame anybody. I wanted every promotion. My churches got bigger and bigger. And then as a young man in my thirties, I'm, you know, responsible for a few thousand people. It was, it was wild. And I, you know, selfish ambition, you know, ego got me. I started believing what people said about me, reading my press clippings, you know, and, and so at the age of 40, I burned out again. So I burned out at 25 and then at 40, I was out of gas and I just, uh, talk about the perfect storm when I, when I left the ministry and I didn't get fired or let go, they tried to talk me into staying and I just said, I can't, I was ready to just move on. And, um, you know, I'd lost my fire. And so I got out and man, I got thirsty again. And so, you know, alcoholism, what they teach us is, you know, when you reach sobriety and stay in it for a while, don't think that, that you're safe. Your addiction has been out doing push-ups in the parking lot, <laughs> you know, waiting for you to get back out there. And when I got out there, oh my gosh, it was tornadoes and storms and I wrecked a marriage. And through a short period of time, I went through a divorce, rehab and bankruptcy. Okay. At the age of 40, after a 15 year career of success, and um, I became, you know, guy living in an 800 square foot apartment and seeing my kids on the weekend trying to drink to stop the pain. And I went down fast. But luckily, it was a short ride and God protected me. But that was my prodigal experience. I thought I was a prodigal son coming back at 25. But no, the prodigal son left the father, squandered his gifts, came back humble and ready to serve. That was me. Because God blessed me over those 15 years in the ministry, gave me everything I wanted, and I left it and squandered it, and then came back to him, you know, beaten into a state of reasonableness. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, Kit, let me ask you this, because I want to get your, your your mindset doing this process. Um, and I want you, let's keep it real. When mm. you, now after you you experienced the success, I like the way you described it, that you say you left one addiction for another addiction, mm -hmm. which was the praise of men. But now after you decide to leave the church, I'm assuming you left the church, but you didn't leave God. You just decided to leave the ministry, right? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. And I think the, the maybe a saving grace, and I don't even think it was of me, but I, when I was, I was hurt and I, was, I felt like the church turned their back on me. Nobody was there for me, you know, my friends. And a lot of it was me. I ran from everybody, but nobody chased me. <laughs> nobody pursued me that I thought were my very, very close friends. And mm -hmm. that hurt me. I was disillusioned. I was bitter, mad. So I went and I, I had a prayer. And it was, this is a real prayer. I shook my fist and I said, I'm done with you. I don't want to hear from you. You know, I'm not going to read your book. I'm not going to go see your people. I'm so not going to talk. So you God this, all this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not even exaggerating. I'm done with you. Leave me alone. I'm not going to, you're not going to hear from me. And, um, you know, now I look back and, you know, imagine him looking at me saying, well, let me know how that works out for you, son. <laughs> and so I did. I went on my run and I tried to outrun him and he's faster than me. Hmm. And um, he was everywhere that I went and I, I couldn't stop talking to him. They were just ugly talks. And I so loved that about God is that he lets you throw your tantrums and he lets you, you know, go through whatever and he'll give you the desires of your heart, even when they're not good. And if, if you let him, he'll use your mess and turn curses into blessings. And that's what he did for me. Now, Ken, as far, so you did, not only did you lead the ministry, then you got to a point when they didn't come after you, you turned your back on God as well. And so now you go through the spiral, you, you go through divorce, rehab, bankruptcy, all of this. I, I want to get a picture of your mindset what made you believe you could return? Because obviously we're going to get to the rest of the story and how you turned this on. Because I would think that when you're in a pit, and I think a lot of men can relate to this, when you're in a pit, you're thinking, okay, I've blown it. I can never go back. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what made you believe that it wasn't over? Gosh, this is kind of like a how did how did you trust men again? How did you trust? I can't explain it. I've I've always been that way. The other thing, when people say, "What's your greatest gift?" I, I used to say, "Man, my personality, or I can speak, or I can blah blah blah." And now I say that he's given me resilience, and I've always been the guy that's gotten back up. I just pick myself up. You can't keep me down. And I'm a, I'm a believer and I'm a seeker, you know, and, and so, um, again, I can't take any credit for it, but I, I was down, but I didn't, I'm not going to stay down. I can't, I'm, I just, you know, I couldn't do it. And so I came back to him, you know, and, and I never left. He, he wouldn't leave me, you know, he stalk, I call him the divine stalker, you know, he, he, just, <laughs> he ain't let me go. He's just waiting till I'm ready and, and, uh, surrounded me. And, um, so I came back to that same place and I looked up at him and God's everywhere, but you know, we always look up and it was under the stars and I said, okay, I'm ready to talk again. <laughs> you know, this is when I, I was, I gotten sober and, and I said, if you ever let me preach again, which I don't even have a clue if that's possible. Ain't nobody really trying to hire a drunken fallen preacher, but, um, I'll go to the harassed and helpless. And so I almost chose Matthew 25, you know, when you said, uh, your favorite scripture, cause that would be right up there as the sheep and the goats. And Jesus said, you know, whatever you do for the hungry, thirsty, naked, stranger, sick prisoner, you're doing for me because that's where I am. You know, and those are the sheep. And and so I told God, that's what I will do if you allow me to. And so God did answer that prayer and put me on this journey. And luckily, I kept my promise. And um, it's changed my life. But um, he gave me a new passion, which which I, I believed when I started working with men and seeing them change on the inside, meaning behind the razor wire, I began to believe that anyone can change. And, you know, when I came back and started serving him again, well, now I had a soft heart because I had been humiliated. And my biggest fear over the years was, you know, I was a people pleaser to a fault. And I was afraid of, you know, losing that. And so I, you know, would hide and become what you wanted me to be, even in ministry. And then all of a sudden I went through this and I was a public story. I mean, you're not paranoid. People really are talking about you. And so, you know, I was reading stuff, people were writing about me and they were saying a lot of things that I never did. And, and God said, I'm going to use this to help you stop worrying about what people think. Like, you can't do what I want you to do if you're concerned with what men think more than what, what, what I think. And so that's what I did. He, he used my mess to help me get over myself in a lot of ways. You obviously you you've gone through um, you you left the addiction of alcoholism before, mm-hmm. and then you went through this phase, and then you went back into alcohol. How did you come back out of it, and how were you able to stay sober? What happened? I went back. My story is I went back to AA. Okay, okay. so I was out there, and I, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't trying to do that. And um, now, obviously, that changed. I have a wonderful church that 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 we are part of now. But but that during that time, I wasn't trying to do church and. And, uh, but I really, really wanted to get sober. So I humbled myself and I went and I found a little place and they weren't like me. It was out in the country and it was just simple people. And they, you know, I could have easily looked down on them years before. And they were, I found the guy in the room that had been around the longest. And I, I went to him. I always look for father figure. I told you. So in mm-hmm. sobriety, I went and turned myself in. I said, I don't know you. You don't know me. Will you help me? Will you, you know, be my guy and teach me? And he said, yeah. And so he did. 
and he, and it was, I submitted myself to another man. Okay. Which is a theme. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he helped me get sober. And then the biggest part of sobriety, whether it's any kind of addiction, whether it be, um, you know, alcoholism, drugs, sex, porn, you know, the different things, gambling, you know, that you can be addicted just by anything, food, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, is submitting yourself to someone who's been there that can help you, but then you got to give it away. You can't keep what you don't give away. And, and, uh, so I started helping other people, you know, that, that were hurt and wounded. And that has kept me sober because my whole life is about service work. And amen. Now, kid, show me the transition because I'm, I want, I want to make sure I catch the bridge here. Mm -hmm. So you go through all of this. Now you're coming out of it mm -hmm. for the second time. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. And now you're slowly being restored. How'd you get into now being this national figure now that you're working with um, groups all over the country and particularly to what uh, um, my friend told me about you is the work you do with prisoners. Mm -hmm. How'd you get into this and who gave you the opportunity? Cause you did say that night you told God, if you ever, if you know, if you ever get another chance to get back into, to ministry, you would do it. But I'm thinking who gave you the opportunity? How'd you get back into it? Well, I said, I kept my promise. I can't even take credit for that one because okay. I really forgot about it for a minute. When <laughs> Start doing motivational speaking. You know, my my church now became corporate motivational speaking. I thought, well, I ain't gonna preach in church, but mm -hmm. I can do this. And I thought that's what I was doing. It's right. like God's let me preach again, you know. And then a um a wonderful um lady happened to be Hispanic. She was in a church I led in the nineties. She reached out to me on Facebook and said, um, do you remember my son Luis? And I said, Of course. He's like a little brother to me. Um, well, he's in real trouble. Will you go see him? And I went to see him and he was facing a murder charge because he had gotten jumped into a gang after I had lost connection with him and and um he'd become a you know a leader in that gang and now he's looking at a, a life sentence and a potential death penalty wow. and he was my little buddy, man. So I went into that that jail and spent the next two years studying the Bible with him through the glass. And, um, you know, basically God tricked me. <laughs> That's what he did. He said, <laughs> okay, you're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. You told me you would. And so he brought somebody in that I already loved and trusted. And so I had no judgment for this kid. I just had compassion. And he changed so radically that I was so ready when I was invited to go on a ministry trip into a prison a real prison, you know, a tough, it was Georgia's worst, most violent prison and highest number of gang members. And I went in and served and I didn't go in with judgment because I had been dealing with a gang leader and saw him change. So now when I was meeting these other gang leaders, I was like, man, they're just men. Wow. And they got, you know, they got dreams too. We just got to find them. And they, anyway, and so that was the the way God got me in, and I fell in love with. I'm telling you, all I want to do is go to prison. I just didn't want to change my clothes. I wanted to leave when I wanted to, and not change my clothes. But I mean, I I, I really was let go from two jobs. Um, you know, I was getting paid pretty well um, because I wouldn't stop going to that prison. <laughs> I was missing work to go there. I was managing a hundred people and my boss would be like, where's kid? <laughs> He's got to the prison again. And so anyway, that's what happened there. And Kit, I've, I've heard that from a, a lot of guys who now do work in the prison ministry. They keep telling me, says Joe, because I've, I've, you know, I've done a little bit of work at the prison ministry, but usually going in talking, you know, once, but not like you guys do. You guys are in the trenches, um, in there with them, elbow to elbow. And what I hear is that they say it would change your life <sighs> when you work with these men, uh, because you see men in the essence of what we are when we're broken, mm. you know, before God. Gosh, you think about the the 
when we change is when we hit whatever our bottom is. And everybody's got different bottoms. The wise man told me that, hey, the bottom for you is when you decide to get off the elevator. Elevator's going down. You stay on as long as you want. But when you decide that you want to step off and start going up again, that's your bottom. And in these prisons, you've got men that have hit rock bottom. And so many of them are so desperate for change. And I found out they're not, quote unquote, those people. They are just people. And any of us could be in there with one bad move. And I got many bad moves. I was a chronic drunk driver. Mm-hmm. I could have, should have killed somebody. I, was re- I wasn't worried about dying. I'd gotten to the point where I, wouldn't, I wasn't afraid to die at all. And so when I went in, I connected with these men. And it. you talk about Amazing Grace. People love that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It changed a man like me. You know, that's what prison does for people that are, are called to it is, man, you see a grace that is most intense, powerful grace. I've been on death row, you know, worked with death row inmates that are saying, do you believe God can save? Can your God save a man like me? And then I challenge churches and say, do you believe in Amazing Grace? Okay, well then tell me if you think this death row inmate can can also be saved. And it really challenges people, but that's what changed me. Wow. Now, Kid, I want you, before we get into um, to some other questions that I want to ask you, especially when we get into the man up questions, I want you to brag a little bit, okay? But not Uh-oh. on yourself about what God has done and what has God restored in your life as a result of this incredible journey that you've been on. Talking about a roller coaster ride. <laughs> what has he brag a little bit on what has God done for you now? Where does he have Kit in this ministry? How has he blessed you since um he brought you back out a second time? Yeah. Well first of all he he helped me find love again mm-hmm. and um he brought a lady into my life and I was married again, which caused me some drama because there were people that say, you're you know, unqualified to preach because you went through a divorce and got remarried. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm disqualified from being an elder or a deacon or even a pastor in a lot of people's eyes, but that's not me. I'm out. I'm just preaching. I'm out there. I'm an evangelist. And so I can't imagine God doesn't want me to open my mouth. And, uh, and so, but he gave me, uh, yeah, helped me find love again and remarried, been, you know, uh, remarried for a decade and which is awesome. And, and then he gave me the respect of my children. I mean, that's the most amazing thing to me is, is my kids. I've got one in college, University of Georgia, one in high school here in Atlanta. And they love and respect and adore their dad and, and call me their role model, which blows me away. And the fact that I was, you know, in addiction and allowed God to help me get out of it and have built a life where I help people, that's more powerful to them than, than if they had the dad that never made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so um, anyway, they see that. So those are, you know, huge blessings. And then, but this thing, man, this one, I, I just made a challenge to some inmates in this rough prison. And I'm talking about there were four bodies in five weeks. I mean, there were four murders. There were weekly murders at this prison. That's how bad it got. And I challenged 12 men to sign a peace pledge. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. It was just a crazy idea. And that crazy pledge has taken me to prisons all over the country, prisons in South Africa, prisons in Honduras, prisons in Ukraine, prisons in Mexico. In two weeks, I'll be doing a peace project in Tijuana uh, with rival cartel members in prisons there. And I'm just like, wow, God. And then Guatemala's next, going to Guatemala in the fall to do the work in prisons there. And he's taking me to prisons around the world 
And I just keep trying to keep up with what he believes that I can do. I mean, and I, if he send, if, if I get invited, I think it's him and I just go. And so, um, I'm blown away. It's called the power peace project, but you know, well, we've got an Aryan brotherhood leader. That's a white supremacist, white Nazi leader who has been transformed. And as we speak, he is mentoring a young black inmate in a prison in Ohio. Wow. Now, if that's not wow. God, I don't know what it is. Ooh. I mean, Crips and Bloods hugging, and they might not leave their gangs, but they're not going to hurt each other anymore because of, of the Peace Project. And I give God all the, I, you know, how'd you do it? I didn't. He did. I just get to watch, you know? You know, it just, I, I love, I love interviewing guys like you and, and men like you all over the country because you know, I know what God has done in my life, but to hear that he's, you know, he didn't just pick me out. He's doing this in the lives of a lot of men and mm-hmm. to see where he's taking you in the journey to see that he didn't waste anything with you, kid. Every, every experience you've had and what you've gone through is now you're using it for his glory, which is, is totally amazing and how he's restored your your family, he's restored um your ministry. People say that you um he's turned your message into a message, but he took yours a step further. He turned your message into a ministry. And mm-hmm. so I I I mean I think this is just awesome. Now I quickly want to ask you these questions. I, I typically if I have time I try to ask men these questions right here. I take them back to when they were younger, about 21 years old. Okay. Okay. And if I could take you back to um kid at 21 if you could see him today, what would you tell that 21-year-old kid to do first? I think find a, <laughs> find a mentor. Mm-hmm. I think young men, 21, um, that's when you're out on your own. I mean, I'm a man, and I'm out here doing my thing, and I'm going to – I know everything. 20-year-old, 20 – in your 20s, you think you know. Mm-hmm. In your 30s, you have some – you get married and start going, uh-oh, and then your 40s, you're trying to raise kids. And you're like, holy gosh, what have I done? <laughs> and so you're humbled through life, but in your 20s, there's just so much. Man, I'm bulletproof. I'm 10 feet tall and bulletproof, and 21-year-old young men need fathers in their life, and if you don't have one that that – can be what you need, then you've got to find one. And as a young man, I just pretended I I would be what they wanted me to be. And so I knew what humbled looked like. So I'd act humble and I knew, Oh, if I need to confess, I'll confess just enough to feel good about it. But then, you know, kind of hide the things I really need to talk about. And so I think young men need to have some in their life that knows them, knows everything about them and Mm -hmm. can, you know, be there because you're going to start hitting some things in your twenties, temptations come along. And so I, I think that would be it. That's good stuff, kid. And I just spoke at a church, um, was it, no, day before yesterday on Saturday. And I was telling the young men there, they said, Joe, we don't have anybody in our lives. You know, we don't have that man. I said, well, then go find him. You know, you have to go out and actively recruit if you have to. And they're out there. It's just that we have to humble ourselves enough to ask for the help. Now, oh, you getting ready to say something, Kent? I was just going to say, and it hasn't stopped. I mean, I got to a point about a year ago where I didn't have a mentor in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. The ones that had been there, you know, you have seasons with people. Right, and right. And I was doing a corporate event, spoke, went great. And the the gentleman that brought me in, I, I admire him, I respect him. He's a spiritual man, but we didn't know each other that well at the time. And it, finally, we were the last two there because he was my host and I just stuck around. And I just, out of nowhere, felt compelled. I said, um, you know, I need a mentor. Would you be that for me? <laughs> and I just, you know, as this guy, I said, I need a spiritual guy in my life that can help me. And he said, I'm humbled and honored, but I don't know. I, I will. And he's become that guy right now. And so 
anyway, it's not just for young men and it's not just, you know, it doesn't have to be one man for your whole life. It can be seasons. Yes, you're absolutely right. I'm glad you you brought that up. That's a great point, kid. Now, kid, going back to the 21-year-old kid, you, t- you now you just share with us what you would do first, but what would you tell Kit to do better at 21? Gosh, I think what got me was um, selfish ambition. You know what I'm saying? I just... Gosh, I think I would, and that's so hard when you're young to to understand that it's not all about me, you know. And so I I know that, you know, that's a challenge for me. Is is if I don't have men in my life that know me well enough, to say, "How you really doing, man? How's this going?" You know, or or walk with me, you know, that I've got a big ego, and the thing about ego is you don't know it's operating when you're in it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, you can attach to anything. And so uh, that's, you know, that's what I would have uh, changed is is somehow to, I didn't heal my wounds when I was young. I just fell in love with God, got baptized, started preaching. And those wounds were down in there. And they needed to be rooted out and healed and love and light and counsel wisdom to really help me get through that before I started ripping and running and becoming the big man preacher. And so, you know, that's what I would do if I could have seen it then is to no, let's slow down and help me get healed. I got daddy issues. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Now, kid, it's time for the man up questions, our famous okay. or infamous man up questions where <laughs> we ask five quick questions starting with the letters M-A-N-U-P and they require just brutal honesty. And all we do is ask you the questions and you shoot from the hip and let it rip. So are you ready, kid? I am. Okay. And we'll get started right after this short break. If you're like most men in our audience, you're committed to becoming the man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be. But the truth of the matter is, you struggle with either finding the time or knowing where to start. That's exactly why I created the Real Man Spiritual Leader Blueprint, to give you a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide to spiritually leading your family, even if you're a new believer. Now, you can't buy the Real Man Spiritual Leader Blueprint, but you can get it for free by signing up for our free e-newsletter. By signing up, you will be notified anytime fresh content is added to my site, so you don't always have to visit my blog to stay up to date on the latest information. Now, to get your free copy of the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, just visit realmenconnect.com and simply enter your name and email address on the form on the page. So if you're tired of trying to figure it all out and fit it all in as the spiritual leader, provider, and protector of your family, don't miss your chance to discover how to be the man God called and created you to be. Sign up today at realmenconnect.com. All right, we're back with Kit Cummings. And Kit, it was time for the Man Up Questions. And the M stands for mistake. Now, Kit, what mistake did you learn the most from as a man? I think that I, I let a marriage grow cold and did not, um, I was all about me and, and the mar- we stopped fighting. A 15-year marriage came to an end uh, because I did not take care of the emotional, spiritual um, needs of, of this flower. I let it wilt and um, through my selfishness and neglect, I wasn't abusive. Um, I wasn't angry. We stopped fighting. I was, I was absent. Men can be absent without leaving the house right. and without getting divorced. And I became that man and it died and it died in my presence. And I thought my mistake was, well, yeah, I'm not going to get a divorce. I mean, I'll just change. We'll save this thing. It was too late. 
mm-hmm. I, had, I had killed it. I had let it die. Okay. Now, with that being said, and because you work with a, a lot of men, and the A stands for attitude, and you work with them, whether incarcerated or even if they're free, you deal with a lot of men. If you could change one attitude in men as husbands, fathers, or whatever, what would it be, Kat? Lately, what's been given to me is changing my life. I'm going through a real shift, and I don't think you ever arrive. It's a journey, and you keep changing. And um, I, I want men to see the attitude for me, the way I see it is it's a lens through which I see the world. And I want men to be able to believe that there's what their greatest days are ahead of them, not behind them. Because the older we get as men, a lot of times we, we live with regret. And I do believe at the end of our lives, whenever that is, we won't regret the things we did, but the things we didn't do. Right. And, you know, attitude is anything is possible. And right now, the biggest thing that God's teaching me is just to be kind. I think that I am a kind person, but I'm trying to help men see that that is is so huge. I mean, it's so simple. It's almost oversimplified, but kindness, you know, toward in your family, you create kindness and peace. And then within your, you can be an executive, a CEO, and just think that, you know, I'm not kind to my, my people, but, um, I don't know. I mean, that's just, that's the theme that he has me with right now. Mm-hmm. And thanks for sharing that with us. Now the N kit stands for next and you're all over the place you're all over the world and all over the country getting ready to go to tijuana (laughs) but Mm -hmm. what's the next big thing you would attempt to do for god if you knew you couldn't fail and i've got a dream i mean the the for some reason this field in uh with the hispanic culture has opened up to me it's everywhere it's this opportunity in tijuana it's guatemala i have connections in honduras i believe el salvador and nicaragua and panama are coming but i've i've just um the, the whole country and really the world's watching what we're doing during this election campaign so many people are talking about illegal you know aliens immigration the wall the cartels human trafficking all the problems we have with the border cities el paso juarez tijuana uh you know those are the big ones and there's a couple more but san diego and tijuana and uh, el paso juarez is where there's so much violence with the cartels and the gangs and and right now Yes, yeah, the children that get caught in the crossfire. But I'm finding out in working with the quote unquote bad guys in these border towns that the thing we have in common is they do care about children and they do have a fear of God. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there is a revival coming in those towns that's going to shock the world. And I believe it's so powerful that there's a Nobel Peace Prize in this for the Power of Peace Project, not for me. But, um, you know, if you look back at 100 and you know, over a hundred years of Nobels, that they very often give the Nobel to organizations who have made a change in the world. Right. And I believe it's that big. So my, my dreams have really expanded. My vision is nothing is impossible. Mm-hmm. Now, Kit, uh, you represents understand. And when you were younger, what was the one thing you didn't understand about being a man, but you know better now? God, a real man um, admits when he's wrong. <laughs> and I didn't see that. You know, a real man is is willing to say, you know, I'm sorry. A real man says, please help me. A real man says, thank you, and means that I love you, and I'm grateful for you. And we've got this this 
You know, in our culture, so many people think that's not a real man. That's weak. You know, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to say, you know, we stopped the basic things. I forgive you. I love you. Thank you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And these are things that I now understand a real man does. And that's why I'm trying to teach the convicts because inside, and when I say convict, that's a term of respect on the inside, but mm-hmm. is here's what a real man is. And here's the lie that you've given into of what you have to be. And so, you know, I think that answers the question. Okay. And kid, you obviously you're like I said, your life has been a roller coaster ride and some ups and downs, but God has shown himself faithful. And the last letter represents P. Mm-hmm. As a mighty man of God, um, what in your life do you still struggle with, even as a man today? Ego. <laughs> Ego mm-hmm. is is and I think that'll be, you know, it's something that can be overcome. But it's in there, and it's being aware of how egos run in your life, and then it is having the right tools to get back into soul purpose and who you really, really are. And so, I mean, I did a wedding on Friday night. I don't do a lot of weddings. I did a lot in the past, but I get asked, and I didn't know these folks. And to be quite honest, um, the way I did it was not uh, what they were happy with. It really hurt me, and um, you know, I thought it went really well. And there was a lot of people there, but the couple. You know, didn't feel like it's what they wanted, and that really hurt me. But um, you know, I think it was too much of the kit show, and I've got to always be aware of that because of the nature of what we do. We're in front of people, we make people laugh, we inspire people, and then it can be easy for me to slip back into that and lose track. And I, you know, I feel bad about it because I can't fix it, but I'll try to learn from it. And I expressed, you know, what I needed to, like when last question is what's a real man is I did express that to them as I'm so sorry, you know, it's fine. It's okay. But you know, I think that's the, I got it. That'll be as an old man, I'm going to have to be watching that. Yeah. Lesson learned, I guess too, Mm -hmm. as well. And Mm -hmm. kid, thanks for being so um, honest and transparent with us, sharing that with us. One reason I asked that question is because I want men to know that even though God has um, us in a good place, the men that I bring on, because we're doing some some great things um, for God and God is doing some great things through us, is that we're still men. We still yeah. struggle. We still, we're still bumping our heads. We're still learning. We're still a work in progress. And so I always thought it was important for for our guests to share that the struggle is still it's still tough and it's and it's never yeah. going to stop as long as we're in on this side of eternity. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. And guys, we've come to the end of our show, but um, don't you worry, we'll be back to do it all again next week with a new guest and new insights and new lessons. So make sure you don't miss it. And I'd like to thank um, Kit Cummings for joining us today, for being so gracious with the time. Um, thank you, Kit, for um, being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, I'm so honored. Thank you for inviting me on. And uh, I hope somebody out there got what they needed. I know I did. I mean, this is <laughs> this is always good. And Joe, I, I admire you and your work. And uh, man, I'm a fan. And I look forward to seeing what, what God's up to with, with our connection. But thank you again. Oh, my pleasure. And Kit, uh, quickly for our listeners out there, because um, you mentioned just kind of quickly about the, the Power of Peace Project. And I don't want to, you know, put you in a, a, a box, but if mm-hmm. they wanted to keep in contact with you and find out more about the great work that you're doing in ministry, how could we get in contact with you? How could we um, uh, reach out to you? 
Um, they can go to powerofpeaceproject.com or just Google the Power of Peace, Power of Peace Project, or, or my name, and they'll, they'll, they can follow us on the typical social media on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and LinkedIn is a great way to connect. And so, okay. um, and I would like for them to consider, uh, just go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble Online, or Apple iBooks. My latest release is Peace Behind the Wire, a nonviolent resolution, which I really, really believe in, and I think it was inspired, and I would love, especially men, um, to check that out. You can get it online, you can get it on Kindle, but it's peace behind the wire. And Ken, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot because I would like to bring you back on to Real Man Connect so you can talk about um, Peace Behind the Wire because you you gave me that book when we had a chance to uh, to meet for lunch and I haven't gotten into it yet, but I can't wait to read it because you told me a lot of stuff that's going to be in it. But um. And I hate to put you on the spot now. Now you can't back out. Would you mind being on the show again, bringing you back? (laughs) Shoot, let's do it tomorrow. Let's let's tape another one tonight. That's right, man. (laughs) But man, I really appreciate that because I definitely want you to talk about something that you talk about called the 12 Power of Peace Principles. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait for you to dive into that because I've even shared it from your website with our guys and they loved it. So I can't wait Uh to bring you on for that. So to all you guys out there listening, do us a favor, please. This is so important. Take about 30 seconds and go over to iTunes and rate the program. It's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. And please don't keep us a secret. Karen is sharing, so share us with your friends. Mm -hmm. Until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with realmenconnect.com, reminding you always that we are males by birth. But we are men by choice, so each and every day choose to be the man God called and created you to be, because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and as always, stay in his grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.